Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. How's everyone doing this fine day? This is going to be a two-part pod wrapping up the game. Ugly, ugly Niner loss. And a quick look ahead to the Brownies, too. we got an extra day to preview them as well. So, as usual, I found some stuff, reacted to some stuff. And here's some things. First half, we're going to talk about the game, the one we saw. Pittsburgh opened the game with five consecutive three and outs. I think you probably all know that by now. But how about this? Seven of the Steelers' 10 drives lasted four plays or less. I mean, pretty brutal. (laughs) Only three generated five plays or more. Here's a little bit of good news, though. Two things of good news. Pass rush win rate. That is a ESPN stat. And the Steelers pass rush unit had won at a 62% clip in week one. Third best in the league. I wouldn't have thought it was in the top six or seven. I mean, obviously, Watt had a lot to do with that. This guy we're about to talk about had a little bit to do with that. Highsmith did some good things. Along those lines, actually go to the site right now. And I'm not trying to spin what happened uh, Sunday positively, but I decided to do my uh, article this week on who were some guys that didn't stink besides TJ Watt, basically. (laughs) And this name is on that list. I didn't know this little nugget until this morning. This was already up, but it kind of reaffirmed what I thought of what I saw of Keanu Benton. And I am so psyched for this player. And I hate the Cam Hayward news, not loving the Deontay news either. But I think this is a golden opportunity for Benton to step up and play basically in every down roll. And Pro Football Focus came out with their highest graded rookies from week one. Any rookie. Benton was number two. The Wisconsin product showed his run-stuffing ability in week one against the Niners, earning a positive grade of on over 11.8% of his run defense snaps. And perhaps more impressively for a rookie, he earned no negative grades on those snaps. It's great. Not only did Benton earn the second highest grade among rookies in week one, that's across the NFL folks, but he was also the Steelers' second highest graded player behind only TJ Watt. That's exactly what I saw too. That's exactly what I wrote. Um, good to hear. I like to talk defensive or snap counts with you guys. We did some offensive stuff yesterday with the skill position players, but there was 68 defensive snaps. Patrick Peterson played 67 of them. Now I do think the Peterson and Porter played seven. I think that's going to be highly Niner specific. Because I don't think they wanted the rookie out there getting manipulated by Shanahan and all that. And Peterson's experience, familiarity with the scheme, I think was part of the game plan as well. Plus, I don't think they wanted to use a lot of outside corners. I just think they wanted bodies that were very comfortable in the middle of the field. Now, did it work out? Not particularly well. But I think that was a game plan thing. And I think that will change a lot against the Browns. So, again... Peterson, 67 snaps, Porter, 7. Sullivan only played 13 as a true slot, which with King being around, maybe Sullivan's stuff's going to dwindle. Some other notables. Neal played 33. You know, I mentioned that expected a lot of big nickel and we got it. 
Um, of the linebackers, Holcomb played 53, Alexander played 47, Roberts played 29. And I thought Holcomb really struggled. Some of the D tackle stuff. Adams played 34, which is too many for him. I didn't think he was horrible, but it was too many. Loudermilk played 31. He's falling out of favor very quickly for me. My man Benton played 29. That needs a bump, bump, bump. And Leal played 26. His will bump as well. On the edge, Herbig played 16 snaps. Impressive. Now, I think this is very noteworthy too. Special team snaps. Herbig led the way with 20. Now, I think I need to double check. Like, unlike some of the other core guys, because the next highest are 17. Herbig must be on field goal, extra point block team because these other guys wouldn't. So, yes, he has more than everybody else by three snaps. But really, I'm concerned about kickoff, kickoff return, punt, punt return. And this was really intriguing to me is I always talk about five core special teamers. Well, they may have more of them now, you know, just based off of one game. So Herbig led the way with 20. All these dudes played 17 exactly, which must have been all the kickoff, kickoff return, punt, punt return. Pierre, Hayward, just like last year. Robinson, Boykin, just like last year. Riley, Killebrew, just like last year. So Pierre, Hayward, Boykin, Killebrew were core, heavy, special team usage guys last year. Now you throw Robinson in the mix, throw Riley in the mix, Herbig in the mix. So you're way past five. Plus, Alandon Roberts played 14 special team snaps. So he's knocking on the door as a core guy, too. So that core is bigger than it usually is. See if it works out better or not. Who knows? Um, two other receiver, two other niner notes I just wanted to make. I don't know if you even care, but I was very, very impressed with the Niners wide receiver blocking. And it's very important for springing long runs, especially Ayuk. Debo does it all the time, but Ayuk has really turned the corner as a player, as we saw. Um, and frankly, I thought the Steelers receivers blocked okay as well. I kind of mentioned that in my article. Go check that out. And then one other Purdy note that I need to just give him credit for. I'm hard on Purdy. He played very well. But one thing that's different about Purdy than – Jimmy and some of these other Niner quarterbacks is he throws with aggression more so than they do. They're much more paint by numbers, check it down, lean towards being conservative, where Purdy's a little more aggressive than that. And they're watching the game a second time, and this has happened all through his career. There was a couple mistakes that he got away with, and his percentage of getting away with mistakes is ridiculously high right now in his career. And, and it will come back. And I'm not bashing the guy. He played really well. Um, all right, I'm going to give you a quick break here, take a sip of water, and do some real overview brown stuff. All right, you guys know I do my stat pack every week, and this is just the stuff I have as game overview, matchup overview. How about this? 
The Browns have gone 15 straight years with a negative point differential, dating all the way back to 2008. That's tied for the longest streak of its kind in NFL history. Last year, they were outscored by 20 points. Now, right now, they're in the plus category. But 15 years in a row, they've been outscored by their opponents. That's bonkers. A lot of this stuff's based on last year. We only have one game to go off of. So, on a per-snap basis, Cleveland was the fourth youngest team in the NFL last year. The Steelers' offense was the youngest in the entire league, and the Browns' defense was the second youngest on that side of the ball. And, just, and overall, just seven teams were younger than Pittsburgh on a per-snap basis last year. And that includes some old dudes like Cam Hayward, etc. Last year, the Browns scored 42 touchdowns. Their opponents also scored 42 touchdowns. Cleveland's running game averaged 4.7 yards per carry, but the Browns also allowed 4.7 per rush, even Steven. Cleveland was penalized for offensive holding more than any other team last year. They were called for offensive holding 20 more times than their opponents, and on average, they handed their opponents 11.3 penalty yards per game just in holding calls. Like they're Hockey over under on holding calls was minus 11 yards per game. It's crazy. And everyone talks about their great O-line, which is really good, but sure sounds like they hold a lot. Cleveland finished the 2022 season two and six in one score games. And why I bring that up, history shows you're more likely to get closer to 500. You know, that's a little bit of bad luck from the Browns. Last year, the Steelers offense ran 65.2 plays per game but Pittsburgh's defense was on the field for just 60.2 plays per game per average. Obviously, that wasn't the case versus the Niners. Last year, just 43% of Pittsburgh's touchdowns came through the air, the lowest percentage in the entire league. However, the Steelers' opponents scored 81% of their touchdowns through the, through the air. That was the highest percentage in the league. The Steelers were 7-0 in games last year when they scored first, compared to 2-8 and eight when the opponent got on the scoreboard first. Uh, we saw all that one with the Niners. Interesting Miles Garrett, TJ Watt stuff. So coming into this year, these two were drafted the same year. They're tied for the most career sacks per game all time at .9 sacks per game. And Watt leads the NFL with 77.5 sacks since entering the league in 2017. Remember, he missed a lot of time. He has 77 and a half sacks. That's the most, not per game. It's also He also is most per game, tied with Garrett. Watt is also first in quarterback hits and forced fumbles during that time. Last week, Watt and Garrett combined for four sacks, three by Watt. Also forced two fumbles and, recorded, and recovered one. Watt, that is. Now, these two will always be linked. In week one, the Browns produced 21 first downs and gave up just six to Cincinnati. They possessed the football for just under 36 minutes. Meanwhile, the Steelers possessed the football for just 22-37 in their loss to San Francisco. This is nuts. I think I might have mentioned this yesterday, but with the exception of the Chiefs, and the reason the Chiefs are an exception is after the Chiefs played the Niners last year, the Chiefs had a bye. So they're out of the equation. They did not play the following week after playing the Niners, nor did their week 17 opponent because the season ended. So there was 15 instances when a team played the Niners 
and then went to play another game the next week. The record of those teams, 0-15. First time in NFL history that's occurred. Steeler fans don't like hearing that. So if you played the Niners the week before, you lost the week after. Now, I have two theories on that, which are both probably true. First of all, San Francisco beats the crap out of you on both sides of the ball and takes a lot out of you. Certainly true last week. And oh, by the way, now the Steelers have a bunch of injuries. The other thing is the Niners also played a very bad schedule last year. So you beat a bad team and then that bad team go loses the team X. So, but still, 0-15 the week after playing the Niners last year, first time in NFL history. How about this? We talked about some stuff about leading at the half and winning at the half, all that. Dating back to the 2019 season, the Browns are 3-25 and when losing at the half. Wow. Last thing I got here, you guys probably know this now. Last week was the Steelers' greatest margin of defeat at home during the Mike Tomlin era. Not great. All right, everyone. Take care. See you.